tell you about the worst date I've ever been on? Um, and I have to be careful telling you about the worst date I've ever been on because the worst date I've ever been on is with the woman that I'm now married to. Okay, so um, it works out okay in the end, just sort of spoiler alert. Um, uh, it, it has a happy ending. Um, uh, Roz and I had uh, been dating for not very long um, when Roz wrote a letter and delivered me a little letter in the mailbox. Now, for the young people here, yes, when couples used to go out, used to write letters and things to people, you know, you couldn't text them. And so, you know, these letters would get exchanged. But this letter was an invitation for me to go on a date with her. Uh, and it was a little bit cryptic. It was a little bit um, a deliberately ambiguous. It said that we were going to go somewhere. It was going to be sort of fun, sort of challenging. She thinks I would like it. Uh, I didn't really know, but I'm kind of up to it. Up, you know, I'm, I'm sort of up for it. So we went on this date. And um, to cut a long story short, uh, Ross's idea of a date was to take me on the old Ferris wheel at Glenelg. Now, I'm not talking about the new fancy safe one uh, that's there now. Um, 20 years ago, there was an old wooden Ferris wheel at Glenelg. Um, it was, did I mention it was made of wood? Uh, it was a wooden Ferris wheel. Um, the floors of the uh, little, whatever you call them, pods, things that hang on the Ferris wheel, uh, the floors and the seats were made of wood and they were slatted so you could see through them, right? It was like going round and round on a park bench up in the air. Um, if, you have, if you haven't worked out yet, I'm not so good with heights, right? Um, uh, but Roz thought this would be fun. Uh, in, in fact, when we got there, she sort of explained that what she meant by the invitation is that this would be a chance for me to, uh, you know, to face and to overcome my fear. You know, it's a bit like taking someone who's scared of snakes and locking them in a reptile house, right? So it was not going to help me overcome my fear. And so we get on, uh, we get on this thing, and we're on this. And, and Ros is loving it. She's not scared of heights at all. I am like white knuckled, holding on for dear life. Um, I can't even look down because if you look down, there's no floor in this thing. You're just looking straight through the ground. And I kid you not, the the, the Ferris wheel used to be orientated such that. Um, that if you sat one way, you saw the sea, and if you sat the other way, you saw the hills. We're halfway through this, like, um, uh, this, 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 uh, uh, this death thing that I, like, I was going to die, right? We're, we're halfway through, uh, and Roz says, hey, let's swap sides so we can see the other view. She said, this thing's moving up in the end. She stands up and starts to, you know, walk to the other side. I'm like, sit down, sit down, we're going to die. <clears throat> I can't remember anything else uh, about that, that, that date. Uh, and I can't actually remember, oh, but I can remember the fear. Do you know when you just have that memory of how scared I was on this Ferris wheel? Because um, uh, fear has a way of sort of burning itself into your memory, doesn't it? You know, you can forget all sorts of things, but those moments in your life when you're really scared, you tend to remember those. They, they're the things that kind of burn into your mind. We're in week two of a series that we're calling Overcomer, um, and we've acknowledged that many of us live lives in which at some point we feel overcome. Uh, many of us live uh, at some point feeling overcome by anxiety, by doubt, by temptation, by loss, by failure, and sometimes by fear. Uh, we feel like we're uh, we're sort of frantically trying to keep our heads above water, frantically trying to keep going, 
but like we're fighting a losing battle. You know, that's the feeling of being overcome, isn't it? You, you just, you, you keep trying, but you, you're just never quite getting there. You know, it's, it's, it's one step forward and two steps back kind of living. And in the midst of that is God. And, and John will write about God that everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this series is about exploring that question and asking ourselves, is he serious? Like, is that possible? You know, can we actually live lives that overcome the world or are we destined to be overcome by the world? Is that, is that even possible? And if it is possible, how is it possible? And this, so this series is going to be about exploring those questions, um, asking how we can overcome the things that want to overcome us. And we're talking today about how we can overcome fear. Because let's face it, everyone's afraid of something. Uh, maybe it's heights, like me, um, or snakes, or spiders, or the dark, or claustrophobia. Um, and and the, the, there are a list of fears that people would say are what's called rational fears. In other words, it's a good thing to be scared of those things. They're, being scared of those things are what keep us alive, right? You know, if you see a snake in the wild and you're not afraid of the snake and go to pat the snake, things will generally end badly for you. You know, there's a reason people, uh, there's a reason people are afraid of heights because if you're not, you fall off things and that tends to not go well. But then there are other sort of less rational fears like public speaking and clowns and balloons and they might be less rational but I'm not they are just as real are they you know there are those those fears are equally debilitating to people as as irrational as it might seem to be scared of someone dressed like a clown those fears are genuine and they're real and if the last two years in our world has taught us anything it's just how powerful fear can be I mean, whatever your opinions about COVID, and I don't want to, you know, talk about that, uh, talk about that perspective of it today. There's one thing that everyone agrees on uh, when we start talking about the COVID pandemic, is that COVID has released in our world unprecedented fear. That we have seen fear across all countries, across all parts of our society related to COVID, in a way that we have not seen fear for decades. Maybe generations. People are scared about getting sick. They're scared about other people they love getting sick. They're scared about losing their jobs. They're scared about the financial security that comes with, with all of the changes and all of the restrictions around COVID. And, and then those fears create for people secondary fears. Because we're afraid of those things, we then become afraid of touching other people. We become afraid of going out places. There are people who are afraid of large groups. I've heard of people saying, you know, they're in a, a classroom or a crowded setting and just the sound of someone coughing or sneezing starts to kind of set something. I'm being serious, you know, starts to set something off in them and, 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 and they can feel that a fear starts to rise in them. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be following public health advice, not at all. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be taking precautions, not at all. We should. What I'm talking about is the fear that surrounds those things. What I'm talking about is the debilitating fear that for some people surrounds the idea of doing those things and living that way. 
But of course, it's not just COVID, is it? I mean, even just in the last couple of weeks, the situation in the Ukraine um, has people starting to fear and think about a conflict broader than one country against another. And I mean, the number of people I've heard talk about, you know, is this the next world war? You know, is, is this going to be the moment? Um, there's economic uncertainty. And you, you might have heard people talk about supply chain issues you know, and if you know anyone who's trying to build a house, it's, you know, it's just crazy at the moment because we can't get building materials and things like that. And that's got people starting to fear, well, what if it, what if it goes beyond building materials? You know, what if all of a sudden we can't get health supplies? What if we, what if we could start to, to you know, see uh, problems with our food supply and things like that? And that's creating a, a whole lot of fear and, uh, and, and things in people. So I want to talk today and just kind of jump straight into it and ask, what does our Christian faith say about that kind of fear? You know, does, does God provide us any sort of help in overcoming that fear? There's, you know, can we read scriptures? Can we think about uh, the history of God's people and about the story of God? And can we find any way to live with courage instead of fear in the face of these things? We said last week that as soon as you open the Bible uh, and start you know, leafing through thinking about fear, there's no shortage of people in the Bible whose lives were beset by fear. We said right from the opening pages of the Bible, when, when Adam and Eve mess up and fail miserably, their response is to say, Scripture tells us in that story, that they were afraid and they hid. And we said that when you look at the lives of many of the people that you might call heroes in the Bible story, um, people like Joshua and Moses and, and Gideon and David. We said if, you, if you've heard those names and you, you, you can you know, look at the stories of those people, they, all of them struggled with fear. I mean, big time struggled with fear. You know, ran and hid rather than stood and faced. Jesus' first followers weren't immune to this kind of fear either. Um, Matthew tells us, uh, about Matthew, one of the biographers of Jesus. He tells us about a day that he and his friends were with Jesus and they were scared to death. If you've got a Bible, um, you can open to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can uh, uh, you know, just sort of write it down and read it later. This is the way, uh, Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to start reading at verse 23. This is the way that Matthew remembers that day. He says, Then he got into the boat. He meaning Jesus. Then Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus gets into a boat and so Matthew and his friends follow him. That's what disciples did. They didn't know where Jesus was going, why he's in the boat, but if he's getting in the boat, we're getting into the boat. And they're out on a lake um, and think this lake is like a sea, okay? Don't think lake as in this wasn't something you could sort of paddle from one side to the other. This is, this is like a, a large body of water. 
Um, it says, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. And Jesus is asleep. Asleep. I mean, this story is a setup, right? I mean, surely this is, this is Jesus setting up a situation to create a moment. I mean, seriously, you know, this just, this just isn't a random happening, right? Um, so they, 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 but they don't realise that at the moment. This is all in hindsight that Matthew kind of gets that this is set up. So they wake Jesus. Uh, you know, I imagine they're kind of shaking and like kind of get up, help us do something. And Jesus looks at them and says, why are you so afraid? And the, the, the scripture says it in a, in a more kind of Bible language, but essentially they look at him and they're like, why do you think we're afraid? Look around you, we're going to die, right? Um, now, remember, this is a, uh, a large, well, sort of large-ish, it's a low-sided boat, you know, low enough so that, uh, you know, so that you can put oars out and paddle along. This is not some sort of large boat with a motor on the back. This is a low-sided wooden boat. Um, probably thinks that visually it's more like what we would think is a rowboat today, a boat that sits sort of fairly low in the water. Now, remember, there are no mobiles to call for help. There's no water police. There's no Coast Guard. There's no EPIRB or GPS. There's not even an old-fashioned flare gun that you can shoot in the air. Uh, you know, to get someone's attention. When water starts coming over the sides of a boat like this, the boat's going to sink. And the other detail that's kind of important is that 2,000 years ago, no one knew how to swim. So if that boat sinks, you die. So when they say we're going to drown, that's not overly dramatic that's not, oh, you know, we've got a problem. They literally think they're going to drown. Why would Jesus possibly say in that moment, why are you so afraid? I mean, Jesus has grown up around water. He's been in boats before. It's not like he doesn't realize the severity of the situation. What's Jesus thinking? Like, what's behind his question? How could he be asking in the midst of this, why are you so afraid? It's so obvious why they're afraid. And it seems so reasonable, doesn't it? Like, if I was in the boat, if you were in the boat, we would be afraid too. And the key, the answer to that question is, I think, found in the very first word in the story, which is the word, then. Do you notice that if you've got your Bibles open, the very first word says, then. Because when Matthew writes then, what he's doing is he's connecting this story to the things that have come before it. That's what, that's what Bible writers do when they say the word then. It's not then like as in the next thing that happened. It's not like I got up in the morning, then I had breakfast. Uh, it's then like this happened, which kind of led to that. Here's one thought that connects to the next thought. So if you skim sort of back up in your Bibles prior to this story, you'll notice that just before this, Matthew tells three healing stories, three different healing stories, and then tells us about an encounter that Jesus has with a man where he talks about what it means to follow Jesus. And if you look through those, uh, those healing stories, look at verse 10 uh, in the healing story with the centurion. And Jesus says, uh, the centurion comes to him with this 
Um, now, the centurion, remember, is the enemy of the Jews. He's the enemy of Jesus, so he shouldn't be talking to him at all. He comes to him, he says, would, would you heal my servant? And Jesus looks at him and he says, wow. He says, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Do you see the contrast? Here's the centurion, the enemy, and he's got great faith. And Matthew, like that story, sits right before this. So he's contrasting that kind of faith with the faith of the disciples in the boat, in the storm. And he says, why are you so afraid? Why have you got such little faith? Can you see that? And in between, Jesus has an interaction with a man about following him where in essence he says, in essence he says, don't worry about all the worldly stuff. Don't worry about everything that's around you. Just Follow me. And then the other thing that that is kind of interesting here is there's all these little Messiah references through all of these stories. There's references to the law of Moses, a quote from Isaiah in verse 17, the fact that he calms the sea at the end of the story. We've talked about that before in this church, that, you know, only God can can sort of calm weather. Can you see the way that Matthew's arranged this? Can you see the picture that he's trying to create of Jesus? Matthew wants you to know that Jesus is the Messiah. right? That's what those little references are for. He wants you to see clearly that Jesus is the all-powerful Saviour sent by God. And what he's trying to say is that if you follow him, that's what the following story is about, if you follow him, if you put your faith and your trust in him, then you have no reason to fear. And that's why Jesus can say to his disciples in this story, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Matthew's put these stories together to help you join the dots. He's putting these stories together to help you learn the lesson that he learned on that day. This is Matthew's way of saying, I'd seen all these miracles. I'd seen these people coming to Jesus, believing, coming to Jesus with this faith that just the presence of Jesus could do something in their life, but I didn't get it. I missed it. I saw all that stuff, but I still somehow missed it. Until Jesus put me and the others with me, until he put us in the middle of a storm, And then he goes to sleep, like just to sort of reinforce, nothing to worry about here, I'm asleep. And when we woke in a panic, he said, why are you so afraid? And then I got it. Jesus is saying, are you ready to follow me? Are you ready to really follow me? Do you have the belief, do you believe that if I'm with you, there's nothing to fear? Do you have the faith to trust in me in the middle of the storm? That's what Matthew's trying to communicate here. And here's what I want us to see today. That fear disappears in the presence of Jesus. Fear disappears in the presence of Jesus. Matthew and his friends have Every reason to be afraid in the boat. There's a storm. It's filling with water. They've got no way of getting help. They can't swim. They've got every reason to be afraid except one. 
Jesus is in the boat with them. That's the only reason they've got to not be afraid. There's nothing else. No one's found a book on how to swim. Uh, do you know what I mean? <laughs> no one sees a lighthouse. There's no boat nearby. There's nothing else that changes except Jesus says, you're missing the fact that I'm here. That's the lesson, and the way Matthew's put these stories together, that's the lesson that Matthew and his friends failed to learn when Jesus healed the leper. They failed to learn when Jesus healed the centurion. They failed to learn when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. It's the lesson that he learnt that day, and it's the lesson that he wants to pass on to us in the way that he's written this biography. The presence of Jesus is the antidote to fear. Or to get way more cheesy but way more memorable, because you can remember this, ready? When Jesus is near, there is nothing to fear. Do you like that? When Jesus is near, there is nothing to fear. Believing that Jesus is the all-powerful Son of God and trusting in Him, uh, trusting in Him, trusting He's beside you in the storm, that and only that is what we need to know to live without fear in the face of the storms that come into our lives. My wife and I went skydiving when we were young. Um, And I went solo. Uh, And what that means is I had to do a couple of weeks of training before the jump. Uh, It means that I had my own parachute on me. Um, I had my own altimeter strapped to my chest. And when we jumped out, I was on my own. Well, I wasn't on my own. There were instructors and people around me. But it was my job. It was my responsibility, uh, you know, to watch the altimeter. When I got low enough, I had to pull the chute. Uh, once the chute was deployed, I had to guide myself uh, and I had to land. Skydiving is awesome, by the way. You should definitely do it if you ever get the chance. So I went solo like that, right? <clears throat> my responsibility, my opportunity to control uh, the outcome. Roz went tandem, right? What that means is there's no training. You just show up on the day. They literally strap you to a professional instructor. He jumps out the plane. Uh, You don't have to jump. He jumps out the plane with you attached to him and you just enjoy the ride on the way down. Let me ask you this. Who was more scared before their jump? Right? I was more scared before the jump. Even though I had all the training, even though I was in control, Roz is attached to someone else. The proximity of the instructor, she's less scared because she's attached to the guy, right? I've got to do it on my own. So she's like, oh, this is going to be great, right? I think I'm going to die. Remember, remember, I'm scared of heights, right? (laughs) I'm scared going up in the plane before I even have to jump out of the plane. The difference between Ros and my experience was how close we were to the professional, how close we were to the expert, how close we were to the person who knew what they was doing. I was close, Ros was closer. When Jesus is near, we have nothing to fear. So how do we stay aware of the presence of God in our lives? Because you can say when Jesus is near, we have nothing to fear. And that's all cool, except that we forget that, right? 
don't we? You sit here in church and you remember that and then you go out and you're in school, you're at work, you're with your family, whatever, something happens and all of that. You totally forget that, don't you? And you're in the middle of fear. So I want to talk to you this morning about three ways, three things that we can do in our lives to remind ourselves of the presence of God in our lives. The first thing that we can do to remind ourselves of the presence of God in our daily living are physical reminders. Notes around the house, scripture on your bathroom window, uh, post a note on the edge of your computer screen at work. Put symbols. I mean, this is why people wear crosses, right? Right? People wear crosses to kind of remind themselves. When they feel it, when they see it, when they touch it, it just reminds them. Um, some people would put framed art or images or things like that around their house. So instead of a picture of a sunset, here's a, you know, a framed picture of some scripture or something like that. It just reminds them of the presence of God. I've got a friend who's got one of those, uh, you know, those colouring in uh, book things, you know, where you, and she's got one with all sorts of inspiring scripture and things. She's coloured those in, torn them out of the book and just blue tacked them on the wall around her house. Right? So just whatever room she goes into, there's a reminder. Those symbols like that can be a reminder to us of the presence of God. You know, instead of getting a sunrise tattooed on your arm, you know, get some scripture tattooed on. I'm serious. You know, if you're going to get a tattoo, you know, get, get something tattooed on you that's going to remind you of the presence of God, of the presence of Jesus in your life. Physical reminders... Uh, uh, symbols and notes and things. Physical reminders are a great way to remind you of the presence of God in your life, especially if you regularly change those physical reminders, right? If you put the same piece of art on the wall, you know, after a while, you just sort of forget it. You know, if you change those things, change the art around, uh, you know, change the cross that you wear and things like that. Um, they're a great way, physical reminders are a great way to remind you of the presence of God in your life. So that's the first thing, physical reminders. The second thing are our daily habits. You know, building daily habits into your life that connect you with Jesus are probably the best way to overcome fear, to put yourself in a place where you can overcome fear because you're aware of the presence of Jesus in your life. It's actually, it's actually one of the best reasons to read the Bible and pray daily. Remember, we've said before, we don't read the Bible and, and, and pray daily because it gets us some credit. You know, it's not because Jesus is keeping a role in heaven and, you know, you get ticks. And uh, We do that because then you're going into each day with the words of God, with Scripture, with the stories about Jesus rolling around in your mind, which increases the likelihood that then when you're in the midst of something at school that day, what's going to come into your mind? A story about Jesus. You know, a scripture, a, a Bible verse, something that's going to encourage you and remind you of the presence of Jesus in your life. Habits at work, habits at uni, uh, habits at home. Well, I'm not just talking about Bible reading and prayer here. When I, I used to work in an office environment and I had a daily to-do list that would pop up on my computer. Each morning I'd get a, a daily list of the things that I had to do. And I added prayer into that list. No one saw. I would just, I would, you know, I would check off the list, first things I needed to do to set up my day. And it just reminded me to pray each morning uh, at my office desk. I just did it quietly. No one noticed. You know, it wasn't 
on my knees with my arms in the air, you know, screaming loudly, come Lord Jesus, just doing something kind of quiet in my own. But it was a way for me to remind me that when I sat in that office, there was a secular work involved, when I sat in that office, the presence of Jesus was with me. It was a daily habit that reminded me that I wasn't alone, that the presence of Jesus was there. I had nothing to fear because Jesus was near. Physical reminders, daily habits, and the third thing is to harness the power of others. You know, even the best of us need help. When when Jesus himself faced the toughest test that he was going to face, the night before he knew he was to be uh, arrested and tortured and executed, he went away to pray and he took his three closest mates with him. If you want to overcome fear in your life, it is really important that you create around you a network of people who can strengthen your faith, who can encourage you and who can stand with you and who can remind you when you forget that Jesus is near and you've nothing to fear. I'm not just talking about, you know, knowing someone who's a Christian or or having a friend who's a Christian. I'm talking about giving people permission in your life to speak to you, giving people permission to speak into your life, to send you a text, to ring you up, to remind you uh, that when, you know, when they sense fear in your life, someone who can speak into your life and remind you, hey, Matt, you've nothing to fear. Jesus is near. I mean, that's why... Uh, That's why being part of a church, that's why meeting together with your church family, that's why being part of a small group, that's why connecting with people in the church is so important. Again, it's not come to church on the weekend so that, you know, you get a tick and Jesus says, yeah, we were there, you know, marking the role. Being here in this church community is about connecting with others and just taking that, that one moment each week together with other people to worship, together with other people to be reminded of the stories, to learn about God and to grow in your faith. You need godly people who you've given permission to speak into your life because their words in your life will strengthen you and will encourage you when you don't have that strength and you don't have that courage uh, in and of yourself because there's always time. You know, all of us will face times when we run out of that capacity in ourselves. You know what I'm saying? When we need someone else to say, hey, I know you can't see this. I know you can't feel this now, but I'm here to tell you there's nothing to fear when Jesus is near. How do we remind ourselves of God's presence in our life? We create physical reminders around us. We build daily habits within us and we harness the power of others for us. And I want to say you have to be deliberate about these things. None of this stuff will just happen. Being aware of the daily presence of Jesus isn't a feeling. Right? This isn't something that, well, you know, because then what if you don't feel it? You've got to be really deliberate about it. I'm just trying to be as practical as I can. You, you can't trust this stuff to a feeling. Oh, you know, I, I just kind of play worship and I have a feeling. You've got to do things. You've got to do things in your life that make these things more certain than a feeling. Does that make sense? You've got to take deliberate, intentional action and building these deliberate actions into your life today 
will determine how fearful or fearless you are tomorrow. Because the reality is there will always be storms in our life. Right? Today's message, this is not about pretending there won't be. This is not a silver bullet to say, you pray this prayer and nothing bad will ever happen to you. The storms are coming, folks. Right? It's COVID today and the Ukraine tomorrow. There'll be something the day after that. I don't know what it is and you don't know what it is, but there's only one thing certain. There's more storms coming in 2022 than what you're facing right now. You know what I'm saying? You know, and next year there'll be something else and the year after that there'll be something. The storms are coming. This is about how we respond in the middle of those storms. Will you be overcome by the storm that comes at you or will you be an overcomer? Will you be defeated by fear or will you be courageous and step boldly and faithfully into a future with Jesus? Fearless because you are aware of the presence of God in your life. Indeed, storms are inevitable. How we respond to those storms is a choice. When Jesus is near, we have nothing to fear. COVID, the Ukraine, political uncertainty, storms are inevitable. How we respond in those storms is a choice. When Jesus is near, there's nothing to fear. Health issues, uncertainty at work uh, or at school or at uni, uh, not sure about what your future holds, storms are inevitable. How we respond to those storms is a choice. When Jesus is near, there's nothing to fear. You know, the same Matthew who wrote that story about the storm, when Jesus gave his final address to Matthew and his friends before he would leave earth, this is after his resurrection, before he would leave earth, the same Matthew that was scared in the middle of that, stor- in the middle of that storm wrote these words. And, and in fact, this is, these are the very last words in the biography he wrote of the life of Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a statement again that Jesus is the all-powerful Son of God. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And this is the final sentence that Matthew writes. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. That's the full stop as Matthew writes the story of the life of Jesus. Surely I am with you to the end of the age. When Jesus is near, we have nothing to fear.